0: welcome welcome
1: welcome a notable welcome to all you music lovers to something that i like to call journey. journey to the stage it's all about music the music and more music ladies and gentlemen please welcome back your host your
0: host
1: and our dad brian frazier
0: all right, quiet on the set. Places, everyone.
1: Places. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Journey to the Stage, and I'm Brian Frazier, and you are you. And I'm glad that you've pulled up a chair to join me and my guest today for our great chat. As the tagline to this podcast says, every artist has a story, and every story has a beginning. So this podcast really is about the, the story of the artist, the steps that they've taken to get where they are today. And this is their journey to the stage so journeys have ups and journeys have downs and they're filled with successes and setbacks cheers and tears broken strings and bright new dreams this podcast exists to capture their stories and to walk a stretch of road with them so every two weeks you can join us and we you have an open invitation to do so and i'm glad you've chosen to do that today as somebody who celebrates melody and good song crafting. I'm looking forward to my chat with our special guest today, singer-songwriter Florence Dor. So I'm an indie podcaster who relies on good folks like you to help others to know that we're here and chatting with great artists. So if you have 30 seconds today, please consider giving a rating or leaving a review on whatever platform you listen on. That's always very much appreciated. Or you can subscribe on my YouTube channel. And for every kind review we get today, Florence and I will personally be your personal chefs for the weekend. So you have that to look forward to. That, of course, is a joke, but I love good reviews. So for you guys, everybody listening today, you're in for a real treat. Ensconced in the artist's throne today is singer, songwriter, author, and professor, Florence Dorr. Florence has a new album out. It's titled Highways and Rocket Ships, and it is a very, very easy album to love. Florence, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Journey to the Stage.
2: Well, thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here.
1: How is life in your neck of the woods these days?
2: And Chapel Hill is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty pretty beautiful weather. We often jump right from winter into summer here, and we've actually had an extended spring, so we're we're sort of relishing it. And I've been oh, yeah. on the road quite a bit over the last twelve months, so it's kind of a great time to be home.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. So I'm I'm in the middle of big old California, and I know what that's like. Sometimes the transitions between seasons are not great. And before we get too far, I want to thank our mutual friend, Wendy Brentford Jones, for connecting us. So thank you, Wendy. So I'm really really glad you're here. Yeah, I'm I'm so interested in hearing your story and diving into your your album. And so when I when I think about certain occupations and vocations, you know, there's always a a first time that a baseball player picks up a baseball or a mechanic picks up the wrench for the first time for you as a singer and songwriter, do you remember that moment you picked up a guitar for the first time?
2: Oh yeah. I was really little. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was really small and my mom's a bit of a hoarder. I don't know. There was a guitar <laughs> in the house. I don't, she doesn't play the guitar. She didn't play the guitar. I don't know where it came from. And as well, there was a book of songs, really simple folk songs. I mean, it was the 60s. So I don't know, maybe everybody was required to have one in their home, uh, along with, you know, Beatles records and Bob Dylan records and stuff. But I remember uh, learning Libba Cotton's Freight Train on the guitar when I was seven years old, uh, just teaching myself and getting really, I mean, I had already been immersed in listening to Rock records that my mom had. This is something I write about um, in my book, Ink in the Grooves. Just sort of being entranced by uh, certain rock songs that were just being sort of tossed off and played on the on the on the record player, and so I was already really transfixed by music. And so to come upon this book. And you know, knew there was a guitar around, just pull it out and figure out how to tune it. We didn't have the internet, of course, so I'm not really sure how I did that. <laughs> I guess somebody <laughs> taught me I showed, like ask some adult near us or who oh I know. There was a woman who I knew uh, who was my camp counselor and I was like, How do you do how do you tune a guitar? Anyway, so just taught myself guitar at a very young age and just started writing songs and, and playing, learning how to play and getting really interested in music. Um, So from a, from a really young age.
1: That's really, really cool. And you have really a a very interesting career path because you're not only a a musician, singer, songwriter, an artist, but you're an author, as you just mentioned, and a professor, Mm -hmm. but all of these strings kind of tie nicely together and fit well together. Kind of walk us through how you arrived at these three, somewhat varied points, but some in some ways very intertwined with each other.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great point. I appreciate your, your looking into the history enough to, to notice, uh, the, the weird and interesting kind of amalgamation of all these Mm -hmm. things that has taken place over, let's say the last eight, 10 years of my life. I, I always wrote songs. I always played music. I had bands in, in high school and college, and continued to, to play music after college while I was in graduate school. While I was in high school, you know, and playing songs and, and loving music and listening to it and, and studying it on my own, I also sort of discovered the beauty of literature and kind of how much I loved immersing myself in that and learning how to write about it and think about it and kind of how I had a knack for doing it. Uh, and a high school teacher pointed that out to me and so so when i went to college it just all was the same thing as i say in ink in the grooves like my time in you know studying literature over the arc of college through graduate school into adulthood was also a kind of era in which rock and roll was part of my life so i would go to shows i would play shows I'd come home and study. And so it was all kind of intertwined Mm -hmm. uh, for many years. And then, you know, one grows up and things get demanding, you know, like bills have to be paid. And I did keep going all the way through um, being a junior professor at Kent State University. I kept on, uh, I made my record when I was there, well, I was actually at NYU for a couple of years doing a postdoc. And I made my record while I was there and playing around town. And um, so I was able to do it all until I had a baby.
0: <laughs> and that's how I met my <laughs> husband,
2: actually, yeah. who's a drummer. We And he was touring with Steve Earle. When I had the baby and the job and the touring husband, it was like, yeah. And actually, this is, this is funny. I, I remember the last time I played a show out. Before I kind of returned to this whole thing uh, five years ago or whatever, and that was a opening for Farmer Jason, Jason Ringenberg as Farmer Jason at the Cleveland Public Library, and Will mm-hmm. having to roll the two-year-old out of the room screaming, and I was like, okay, this is going to be on hold for a little while, and and so it was, and you know I had to write books for tenure. And the work of a junior faculty person is really demanding. There's so much to do. And I was a mother and had the touring husband. And so that just took my focus. And now she's she's heading off to college. In fact, the song that I'm just finishing now uh, is about what it feels like to have a child grow up enough to leave home. As she became more self-sufficient and adult, my husband and I started working together, writing songs, and I wrote some songs, and, and just, you know, everything sort of took off from there, the new record and everything. So so I'm really happy to be back into it. It's a good time, you know, when you have a kid and your kid's leaving, it's a really good time to have a pursuit that that envelops you as music yeah. envelops me. And I'm not angry or anything that I had a baby and couldn't do it for all these years, but it is a joy a real joy to return to it so
1: it's all about seasons
2: it is that's right and then the academic piece actually kind of came full circle too as you noticed i actually wrote an, an article called the rock novel when wow. i noticed that all these authors about my age so middle-aged people were the best authors you know by most standards in the united states we're kind of writing in a literal way about rock and roll. And so I wrote an article about that to try to understand what it meant. And as I was returning to my second book on Southern fiction, actually, I was reading a, a biography of Leadbelly that Steve Earle had mm. recommended to me, Chip Lornell. And it was a really great book. And I read in there that John Lomax had brought the singer Leadbelly, Huddy Leadbetter, to the MLA, which is the largest gathering of literature professors in the whole world in 1934, and was blown away by that and began became curious as to whether Lead Belly at the MLA had any cultural significance that could be tied to the rock novel at the turn of the 20th century. It turns out there's a ton of overlap between literature and rock and roll. So the second book came to be about Southern, it's called novel sounds, Southern fiction in the age of rock and roll. So it's about the overlaps between literature and rock. So, and and actually, as I was reading up for that book and doing my research, I was reading all those Peter Goralnik books. One of them, Sweet Soul Music, uh, was just really uh, so so attached to that book, and was listening to all this, uh, re-listening right to all the songs, uh, William Bell and. Ray Charles and those early rock and rollers and just sort of inevitably got drawn back into the craft and writing my own songs. So that was wow. part of what happened. So they did all kind of come together, all those threads.
1: That's really, really interesting. And do you come from a, a family that was musical? I know you, there was obviously a guitar in your home, but do you have musicians or singers or anybody in your family that maybe impacted or influenced that those early years?
2: No, it was more trying to escape my family that music (laughs) enabled me to do. It was, you know, sort of, uh, I mean, this is an interesting hippie 70s Nashville family, but it was really chaotic and kind of, you know, alcoholism and narcissism. And so so music was kind of a way to uh, feel good.
1: Yeah, I can understand that. You know, that does explain why there's so many years between your albums because perfect city came out in 2001. I was like, wow, she really rode the momentum for uh, highways and rocket ships. But that explains it. You were, you were being a mom and you were enjoying that season of life and that season's changed a little bit. So you're able to go back and reincorporate some, uh, something else that you love, which is, which is really, really neat. So obviously music's not the totality of your life, which I think you being a professor and an author, all of those things, must feed into your songwriting which you know you have a lot of lived experience through those things and family and everything yeah so it's just it has to be such a big impact on your writing <laughs> i
2: have a new song that kind of became we went over to kilkenny ireland and dublin and mm. uh, we played this wonderful festival over there the roots the kilkenny roots festival and the song is 12 ways and it kind of morphed into a song about any kind of meeting that people hate you know <laughs> stupid things that the people do and how pissed off you get the lyric is 12 great minds and 12 ways to f- it up that song was infectious people yeah. it really it, it actually became a sing-along because who can't relate to being at a job and having a bunch of people at a meeting just ruin something that's important to you so
0: yeah
2: so anyway so you're right like so, something about the the Lived experience definitely comes into the songwriting for sure.
1: Well, I want to play a song. Uh, there are so many great songs on the album. I, I love the whole thing, and um, as I mentioned in my introduction, it's it's an easy it's an easy album to love. And you know, some Albert albums are. You know they're they're a little bit of slow burners but some are just right out of the gate just like wow very engaging and so i that was my experience with this album even from the first time i played it i'm like oh okay so we're going to play a song uh, we're going to do two songs in our time together we're going to play lighter first let's check this out and then you can give us a little bit of background about it so this is lighter from florence store from her latest album highways and rocket ships tell me the story that that you wanted to to tell with this song it's a really really great song tell tell me a little bit of background about it
2: yeah listeners may be familiar with the DBs the band that my husband was a part of when he was a youth wow. uh, and the DBs had a huge influence on this record um, I was a fan of course when I was in the 80s but Peter Holsapple he was one of the when you're first returning to music you know, for me anyway, it was like, wow, did these songs suck or or am I actually gonna be able to do this again, you know? And so I took them all to Peter, you know, and he Peter Holz Apple and he helped me a lot by just being there and, and listening, um, but but also in really practical ways, showing me how to edit things and Um, I mean, he's such a pro and he's done so much amazing musical work. So so he really was instrumental in figuring out how to edit and and put these things together. And now when we're touring, actually, we tour with Gene. Peter doesn't tour with us. He's he's home and doing his own stuff. But Gene Holder. So we have the DB's rhythm section often on tour, which is. Pretty unbelievable. So it's a real DB's influence song, I would say.
1: That's really neat. Now you teach about songwriting. So I'm curious then when what your process is and how does your process compare to what you teach? Because sometimes, you know, what happens in our head and what we might speak to others might not be the reality that's for us. So how does that interact with you?
2: I mean, I think that there are I can talk about my process and I love to hear about other people's process, right? It may not be the same for my students who are writing songs, but I think there are certain givens and certain kind of disciplines that apply to all songwriters. And so basically, you know, I'll, I'll show them a song for not lighters, not one of them that I've ever done, but, but I have showed people the first lyric and then what it became and tried to trace for them, how, even though, that process is not totally conscious, so it's it's often just an a, an approximation to something, you know. Because I can't remember. Well, why did I change that? It does sound more cliche, but what was I doing when I made it better, you know? So so you just trace that. But I think there are tools like so and disciplines, you know. So writing ten minutes every day about some object and kind of using all of your senses and just doing free write for 10 minutes mm-hmm. every morning, which I try to do always in my life. But sometimes, you know, on tour, it's pretty hard. And there are moments when things get rough. But right now, I'm in writing mode. So I'm definitely doing that every single day. And it puts up your antenna,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: mm-hmm. as a songwriter. And that's just true for everybody. Things do occur to you. So the the song on my record, Highways and Rocket Ships, the title track, that emerged after a long period of just sitting there and rolling up my sleeves and trying to come up with stuff. And when you do that, I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can do Mm -hmm. waiting for inspiration, you know? So inspiration does hit, but there's certain kind of rituals and tasks and ways of thinking about the world that if you're immersed in those, you're going to, you're going to be visited. Yeah. by by a lyric or by a melody and and so those are the things i teach the students and then just have them workshop their songs
1: that's really interesting that's kind of the the hemingway approach you know he was very disciplined he would write a certain amount every single day whether the muse sat on his shoulder or not it just became a dis- an exercise for him
2: most people who write do that because yeah i mean it's i think there is i think we have a lot of myth about writing, you know, a lot of mythology, like you have to be in pain to write or, I mean, that's, I used to believe that when I was younger and I like make a joke about it sometimes when I'm playing out and do that song, Thundercloud, because it's like, yeah, you don't have to have a broken heart to write a song. You can write about other things, for example, other people's apparently broken hearts, you know? So there's all kinds of approaches. um, And, and I think that one of my tasks when I'm teaching songwriting is to take the mythology out of it. One of the tools we give students is to, or I give students or offer to them is the discipline of writing every day. And I I, I know a bunch of writers. I know novelists and songwriters. I don't really know anybody who doesn't do it.
1: So it's interesting. I'm, I'm so curious as somebody who has not only studied songwriting, but teaches it, if you had to choose between a beautiful melody and very mediocre lyrics or incredible lyrics and a mediocre melody, which would you choose? I
2: wouldn't choose. I would just find the right words for that beautiful melody and I would find the right melody for those beautiful words. You know, I just don't think you ever have to choose. There's an infinite possibility an infinite number of, uh, words, uh, and concepts and emotions mm-hmm. that you can bring to a beautiful melody. And I, I, I like your question a lot because it raises, uh, one of the features of songwriting, which is that you have to be attuned to what you're describing. That is mm-hmm. this kind of beautiful reciprocity between yeah. lyric and melody.
1: That's really interesting. I've, I've had the great fortune of being able to talk to some of my favorite songwriters. And one conversation that continues to come back to me is mm-hmm. with Glenn Phillips from Toad the Wet Sprocket. Mm-hmm. And he shared, and I've even alluded to this in a, in a separate podcast, but he would talk about maybe trying to force a song. Yeah. But when he, he, when he matured as a writer, he realized he had to kind of let go because yeah. the song wants to kind of take on a life of its own. And what that does is it gives the listener a greater ability to interpret that song as opposed to finding the meaning that that particular writer wanted to impose upon it. Do you find that to be true in your own experience and that of other writers that you maybe have studied?
2: Yeah, I think that it's a big piece of of songwriting is to get out of the way. Yeah. I can't. I, I, i somebody else some other songwriter that I was reading said that that same thing I can't remember who it was but I think everybody who actually does write songs experiences some version of that mm-hmm. I understand what what he means by forcing you know that's kind of what I meant when I said I didn't like the lyrics of lighter when I first wrote them they felt forced I knew mm-hmm. I liked the song
0: mm-hmm.
2: but I, when I return like so, and th- then you just leave it alone for a little while so you can get yourself out of it and then when you come back or maybe while you're washing the dishes, dishes or walking your dog something will come to you and be like oh okay that works
1: are there any writers that maybe modern or historically that you find to be really fascinating writers songwriters song crafters because you know there are great ones and there are good ones and some that maybe we might not be drawn to but who are the maybe some of those writers that you're like wow this this person is at another level. Anybody like that for you?
2: Yeah, Chuck Prophet.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean,
2: I, this shifts for me all the time. You know, I don't always have the same kind of inspirations, but he I just think he's brilliant.
1: So before we listen to another song, I want to hear a little bit more about what your husband does. He, you said he's hes obviously a musician as well and has played with Steve Earle. Yeah. Give us a little bit of insight into what his career path has been.
2: Oh, he's a drummer. He's one of the most influential drummers in the country, I think. For certainly for alternative rock and roll, I think REM cites them as him as an influence. I mean, he's wow. uh, he he played in uh, high school bands and with Mitch Easter and all these people in Winston Salem. That's kind of something in the water there, obviously, or there was in the <laughs> in the sixties. And then they all grew up in, to be really incredibly innovative, cutting edge musicians. So. They formed the DBs and went to New York, or maybe that was, they formed the DBs in New York. You have to ask him all the specifics and ins and outs. So But he played um, there for a number of years, lived there for a number of years, played on a beautiful record by this woman, Sherry Knight, who doesn't make records anymore, Mm. um, on Steve Earle's record label, E Squared. And sometime in the, I don't know, late 80s or early 90s. And Steve hired him to play drums for him which he did for 16 years and wow. we started dating i can't remember if it's before he started playing for steve or and I, I remember when he got hired but i don't think we were dating yet so
1: yeah how involved was he with um the making of highways and rocket ships
2: very major production ideas uh in the very studio cool. you know like i said helping me write that song and coming up with suggestions, quirky suggestions all the time. And just, I remember, I think you're about to play Sweet to Me at the end of that track, looking over, he had stopped playing the drums, but he was still kind of moving his arms with the sticks up in the air. And it it was like he was vibrating. It was like something was vibrating through him. And you know, I, he's a magical drummer. And I think what he does on that song, you know, he's amazing all over the whole record, but, but looking at him at the end of that song and watching that, it was like, this, this is not, we're not in reality in any sort of (laughs) way that I recognize right now. So. Right.
1: Well, that's really, really interesting. And what a great team you guys make. That's really, really awesome. And I appreciate you we were going to play a a different song from the album another really good song but i appreciate you letting me call an audible here and and playing sweet to me because this is my favorite song on the album this song Mm -hmm. we're going to play it right now and i want everybody to crank it up that way you won't hear me singing in the background so let's (laughs) listen to this this is sweet to me by florence door and then we're going to talk about this on the backside What a song. I, this is going to be stuck in my head <laughs> for the rest of the day. This is so great. Oh. That harmony is so sweet. It's got an incredible hook. It's actually, has got several hooks in this yeah. song. Very singable, which I think is something we're missing in a lot of modern music. It's not singable for the average person. This song, the melody is so sweet, and it's just great to sing along to. Tell us a little bit about Sweet to Me.
2: Sure. Thank you for your lovely compliments. So actually I it was funny. I started that song after I finished my first record and we were playing it out and everything, but then life took over and I didn't I didn't uh make a record. So it was just out there. Uh although somebody asked me at one point, where can I hear sweet to me? And I was like, yeah.
0: <laughs> on
2: my demo. Let you me know. know, and <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um so I returned to it when I was writing, cause I always really liked it when I was writing the, the album and I, I added a bunch of, I added a C part, you know, like another mm-hmm. part to it. And I remember talking with Steve. I, I definitely talked to him and he helped me too. when I was returning to songwriting and I said, you know, and he, I just can't remember what exactly we were talking about, but Steve Earl said, you don't make a song better by adding a bunch of chords to it. My c part that i felt like well i'm more mature now and coming back to the song was like let's take that right out so it's actually exactly how it was the years ago some lyrics changed a little bit but Mm -hmm. it's an elegy to my grandmother who i loved uh and who took really great care of us uh so sort of trying to say stuff from her point of view but it's yeah it's her life. She grew up in uh, Centerville, Tennessee, actually in the house next to oh. the farm next to Minnie Pearl. And, really? Wow. Yeah. And she has a sister who we called Nani and Nani was very closed and you know they ended up having living together when they were old until they died. And so she was very closed and very kind of stiff and difficult. And my grandmother was very warm and loving. And so You know, and she had difficulty in her marriage with her husband, Tom. My daughter was 16 when we went in to record the song. And so at the very end, uh, on the outro, when it's out in the galaxy, that's Georgie. That's our daughter. And then my sister comes in. Yeah, my sister Catherine comes in with, I hear your elegy. So it just becomes really trippy. Mark really helped trippy aspect of it with his crazy guitar stuff but it was so beautiful to me that my daughter never met granny and so it's really lovely that first of all my sister who also really loved her uh, gets to be part of the tribute uh, but also that my daughter can connect to her in this otherworldly way so it feels yeah. really good and people in Ireland I don't know uh, somebody told me that I don't know what it was, but people in Ireland loved it. You know, they were very connected with the grandmother piece and um, really um, somehow, I don't know if grandmothers hold a special place in people's hearts there. or Maybe it's just everywhere, but it was really, it made an impact there and that made me feel so good.
1: Yeah. Well, if you look at Irish folk music, there is a great tradition, a true ballad tradition of, sharing history and telling story from generation right. to generation. So I'm not surprised that that would find a special meaning there. That's really yeah. beautiful. That's really, really cool. Yeah. And I, and I saw that your album was voted best Americana album by lonesome highway magazine. That's a yeah. super cool honor. That's kind of oh, cool.
2: I was so incredibly honored. Yeah. And those guys came to, we we're playing at the Americana fest. Actually, we didn't get into the Americana fest, but we still did a tour and we're in Nashville at the time. And so we played at this fabulous club, D's uh, country cocktail lounge in Madison, Tennessee. And they have, uh, I can't remember what it's called. I think they call it the American carnival. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> and so they have
2: just music, 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 music the whole time. And, Uh, We had a really fantastic show there and these guys from uh, Ireland and Scotland showed up and uh, we hit it off. They loved it and they were like, oh, and they were, so they wrote about it and so these guys that had never heard of us, why would they have? And they came, they just walked in, like, these guys are really good. And then they kind of go, oh, okay. So two members of the DB, somebody who's in Sunvolt in the band. And wow. yeah, this is really good. And just, just out of their own sense of beauty, uh, were drawn to it and wrote about it and then uh, gave us that really amazing honor. So then they also came over to the Kilkenny Roots Festival. I think they put in a... Oh pretty sure they put in a word for us to get into the festival. And so um, anyway, the whole thing was just pretty smashing.
1: That is absolutely super, super cool. So tell us what is next for you. I know that uh, you've got lots of dates booked out uh, for, the, are you going to be doing a lot of play in this summer or Are you kind of more just in writing mode?
2: I've got some stuff uh, that I'm going to announce soon. That's pretty exciting at the cool. end of the summer, uh, sort of starting in July and I'll know more about that pretty soon. So, but it, before I take off again, I will, I'm going to write as many songs as I can. The next thing will be to, to make an album. I'm hoping to come to California uh, and do a small tour there in October. So we'll see how that shapes up. Cool. And I'll definitely take your advice about where to play in your area. So.
1: Yeah. Well, um, if you're anywhere nearby, I mean, it's obviously such a very, very long state, um, but yeah I if you're within driving distance i'd I'd love to love to come out we and support you and, in
0: LA. yeah I'm just Great. a few
1: hours north so I I catch shows in la all the time even out, even in the bay San Francisco cool. uh, I'm happy to do that's, that that's so, what
2: we would try to do so and then I think the next step will be to go forward I have an incredible label I want to give a shout out to yeah. propeller sound recordings it's a new label uh new wish a couple of years old mm-hmm. and in fact it was my kind of collaboration with jefferson holt the head of the label that started the record that got the record rolling he was he's been an incredible almost manager type he's definitely like my manager though he's not doing that anymore but he's been really supportive really involved really you know bouncing ideas off of him for years now and from from that collaboration emerged, this record label that has put out some early DB stuff that's never been put out before and put my record out. Now Laura Campbell's new record is on there too. Dexter Romweber has a new record. Um, So, so it's a, it's a new ish label it's emerging and they've been so amazing and so supportive. So um, I'm just really, I'm lucky to have them. And, and I think that that will collaborate on on the second record early 2024 i think
1: beautiful beautiful and and where can people go to get the latest uh, updates information tour dates where all that good stuff where can people get that all from
2: florencedormusic.com come on over you can also go to instagram uh, Music on instagram I'm on Facebook, Florence Dorm Music, Um, same on on Twitter, although I don't really use Twitter that much. Uh, If you want to join my mailing list, then you'll have all the updates on all this stuff. And I would love to see you. I don't know if all your listeners are out in California, but please look for us and come on out, um, support live music. The show has become really a lot of fun. Really That's exciting, awesome. So. Well,
1: now you've got two whole albums of material to draw from probably makes yeah. your set list a lot more enjoyable and, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, we've so this audience spans 130 countries. So wherever you play, we'll have yeah. people there to support you. So, yeah. All right. So, so one big question, big meta question before we wrap up our time, if you could pick one artist to share the stage for one song, Who would you pick and what song would you want to do? Oh, my God. It could be living or from the past. One song, one stage, one artist.
2: Let's see. Mm. Emmylou Harris, I guess.
1: Wow. Okay. I
2: mean, that Mm -hmm. seems a little obvious. I feel embarrassed that I didn't choose somebody a little more (laughs)
1: obscure. Oh, she's great, though. No, she's great.
2: I I would say either her... For uh, Julie Miller.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: I opened for her once with the first record, and my God, that voice fills up a room. She is <laughs> such an amazing singer. Um. So, uh, okay, one of those two. I know you said just one. So.
1: That's okay. And then what yeah. song? Do you have a, a particular song you would love to do with one of them?
2: Let's see. Of my own songs, it would be Wi-Fi Heart. But maybe... I mean, I can just think of a bazillion songs, but maybe I'll keep it with mine by Bob Dylan. Oh, nice.
1: I oh, think that's, that's a great a really- choice. That's really interesting. I have an episode that's releasing on Monday with another another female artist, and she said Emmylou Harris and Julie Miller. It's so interesting that you guys both cite those as she huge did? influences. She did, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> you move through the Rolodex of your mind just in an, without much thought, I mean the two most beautiful voices alive. I mean they they would have to rise to the top.
1: Well, Florence, it has been great hanging out with you today and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for for joining me.
2: Thank you for listening and it's been a real pleasure to talk to you.
1: Great, and I appreciate that. And I will put all the links to everything that Florence mentioned, so up to all of her socials, to her website. All those will be in the show description, just scroll down. So wherever you listen to music, add highways and rocket ships to your library, add your favorite cuts to your playlist. Be sure to catch Florence when she visits your area, buy a t-shirt, buy a merch, go up and say hi. And remember that every time you support an indie artist, an angel earns its wings. So please subscribe to Journey to the Stage. You can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on our YouTube channel and i appreciate you tuning in today and join us next time in a couple of weeks when we'll walk a stretch of road with another artist so keep your bags packed and join us on our next journey to the stage and that my friends is a wrap and we're out
0: great